Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter chapter 2. Earlier I read through verse 21, and now I'd like to read 22 through 32, and that will be our text for this morning's message, Luke 2, beginning at verse 22 through verse 32. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Waiting is not something that we typically enjoy, and this time of year there can be a lot of waiting as we wait in shopping lines or in traffic and as children wait patiently or not for Christmas to come. Uh, Waiting is not pleasant, but it is something that we are willing to do when we know that eventually we will get the result that we are waiting for. For the Old Testament people of God, it took great patience and faith to keep waiting for the coming Christ. Think of it, several thousand years before its fulfillment, Adam and Eve received the promise that a son would come who would bring spiritual deliverance by bruising Satan's head. Abram was given the messianic promise of a son through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed around 2,000 years before Jesus actually came. And David was given the promise of a son reigning over an eternal kingdom around 1,000 years before Jesus was born. The Old Testament prophet Malachi closes out the Old Testament with the messianic promise of the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings, along with the prophecy of John the Baptist's coming. And 400 years passed between uh, that prophecy and the arrival of John the Baptist and Jesus. And so there was a lot of waiting. Now, of course, not everyone in Israel was waiting for the Messiah's coming. You wait for something only if you believe it will eventually come. And for many, they had given up hope. And many stopped looking to the future with expectation of the Messiah's coming. And they became consumed with the here and now. And yet God always preserved a remnant of true believers who never gave up hope. And it's that hope that enabled them to wait with an enduring expectation. And their hope was not misguided. Their hope was not for something that in the end never came or that when it came proved to be trivial or disappointing. As the New Testament opens, we find the announcement of Jesus coming described as something worth waiting for. Why wait for something you don't want? 
For example, no one is going to purposely go down to a busy store and wait in line if there's nothing you want to buy. And yet if there is some item you want to buy, and especially if it's at a really discounted price, you'll wait in line. That analogy falls short because the coming of Christ was something infinitely worth waiting for. And God's true people of faith understood this. And this is what motivated them to wait generation after generation over thousands of years. And so what is it about Jesus that created such intense expectation and longing? Well, the angel Gabriel told Mary of how her son would be the king that Israel longed for. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, the angel said to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary sang of how, through her son God, quote, has helped his servant Israel in, mem- in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Zechariah prophesied regarding the spiritual significance of the Christ child in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 72. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. We have in Matthew 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel telling Joseph concerning Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night were visited by an angel who said to them in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so what we constantly hear in connection with the coming of Christ is this theme that he has come to save his people. He came in mercy. And it is evident that Christ came because we and all of mankind need help. What kind of help, what kind of salvation do we need? The help that we need is to be saved from our sins. What we need is to have our sins forgiven. What we need is reconciliation with God. For without forgiveness, sin separates us from God. For God is holy. God cannot even look upon evil. And being a righteous and holy God, our sin makes us guilty and thus worthy of his wrath and the judgment of death. And as sinners separated from God, but originally created to be in fellowship with God, we can never really be satisfied and we cannot enjoy the fulfillment of of having peace in our hearts until our sins are taken out of the way and we are restored to fellowship with God. Without reconciliation to God, your heart will be empty and in vain you will search for something of this world to fill it. And many do not realize it, but it is sin that is the cause of the world's unhappiness. And so it is that sin has left our world in desperate need of consolation. I've chosen that word consolation because that's the word that our text has, that the Holy Spirit has given us as a name and description of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 25 says, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's who he understood the Christ child to be. And consolation is what is done to help someone who is in need of comfort. Example, someone who has lost a loved one needs consoling. What does that consoling look like? Well, you console them by bringing them words of comfort from Scripture, by perhaps paying a visit. You send a card. There's contact where you express your sympathy. Maybe you provide a shoulder to cry on. A child who has fallen and hurt his knee knee needs the consoling touch of his mother, hugging him and putting on a Band-Aid. Consolation is a wonderful thing, and it's what Christ in his grace came to bring us who are miserable in sin. The word for consolation in the Greek means to call to one side for cheer or aid. It implies you need the help of someone, and you call out to that person for help. And the noun form, which we have here, can refer to an actual call or, or, uh, or summons for someone to come near and to help, or in this instance, refers to one who brings help, who brings consolation, comfort, solace, and cheer to someone needing aid. Can you see the, the beauty of this word, the appropriateness of this word in relation to Jesus? He is the one come to bring cheer and, to, and help to Israel. Well, the church, right? Israel was the Old Testament church. So he's come to bring cheer and help to sinners like you and me. We need cheer and hope because of the guilt and consequences of our sins. And Jesus comes to help. God the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to describe our Savior as bringing consolation. This is a word that speaks of mercy. It, it speaks of God's love reaching down to help us who are in dire need. And this morning I want to direct your attention to this consolation by having you consider what the Holy Spirit has recorded for us here regarding a man named Simeon, who we are told was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Our first point will be a man waiting, second, his waiting ended, and third, his example. So we begin with a man waiting. We're introduced here to Simeon, and our impression almost immediately is that he is just an ordinary man. Some would like to tell us that he was a priest or some kind of religious or government official, but there's no proof for any such idea in the text itself. Verse 25, in a rather simple, straightforward way, says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem. So Simeon was just a man, and it seems like if you had seen him just walking down the street, he would not have stood out in any way. Even the name Simeon was a common name of that day. Every indication was that he was just your average Joe. And yet not spiritually, not in God's kingdom. Scripture tells us that Simeon was righteous and devout, which tells us several important things about him. First, there is no doubt that he was a believing, saved sinner. For to be righteous means to be justified before God. It means to have a standing before God as legally approved. Now, we know that Simeon was not perfect or righteous in himself because no person can be. But Simeon was justified by faith. Yes, even as an Old Testament saint, Simeon had faith. You might wonder, well, faith in what? Well, in the Old Testament, sinners were justified and thus saved by trusting in the Christ to come. 
They believed that he would come and in his coming would offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And they certainly didn't understand Jesus and his saving work to the extent that we do, but they knew that the Messiah would come and that he would come in order to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice. And more importantly, they looked by faith to this one God would send as a savior to redeem them and grant forgiveness of sins. This faith was demonstrated in the Old Testament by an offering of animal sacrifices at the temple. The, 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 these, these offerings, these animal sacrifices were brought as a confession of sorrow for sin, an expression of their need for Christ's sacrifice to reconcile them with God. So it's important to understand that the true people of faith, and there were people of faith in the Old Testament, they looked beyond the temple ceremonies and sacrifices to the Christ that they represented. And so when we are told that Simeon was righteous, this means that he had faith in the coming Christ. And it was as a person of faith that he was waiting for the consolation of salvation, of salvation from sin through the coming Messiah. The text also tells us that he was devout, not only righteous, but devout. And this word refers to how he lived out his faith as a godly man. Scripture teaches us that faith without works is dead. And the fact that Simeon was devout tells us that he had a living faith, a true and genuine faith. Being devout means that outwardly his walk before God was one of godliness and devotion to God, a walk that matched his profession of faith. We call that kind of a godly life a, a, a pious life. Um, and uh, Simeon's piety was an expression of his thankfulness for God's saving grace. He lived a holy life in service to God because he loved God. And this devotion, this, this piety came to expression, especially in his eager longing for the consolation of Israel. Notice there were not many others waiting like Simeon was waiting. Now, don't get me wrong, there were plenty of people who were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for the consolation of a political Messiah, one who would break the back of Rome, their oppressor. They were looking for the help of earthly prosperity under David's son. Their idea of consolation for many had nothing to do with salvation from sin, they were looking for a Messiah as a kind of Santa Claus who would give them a peaceful, prosperous, earthly life. But not Simeon. His eyes of faith sought consolation beyond the things of this earth. Have you ever had to wait a long time for something? Perhaps for marriage or for children? Perhaps a degree? Maybe to save up enough money to, for some big purchase? Likely there's been some desire and you've had to wait patiently, perhaps even for years, for the fulfillment of that desire. And I would guess that at times doubt entered your mind that what you were hoping for um, maybe was never going to happen, that your waiting was going to perhaps be in vain. And have you also experienced how the longer you wait for something, the greater your longing becomes, and when you finally do get your wish, how much more it is appreciated. It took great faith for Simeon to wait for a Messiah who had not yet appeared after thousands of years. Now, some of the things we longingly wait for may never happen. It may be that, that it's not God's will for us to, to receive the thing that we want, but 
God had promised to bring about what Simeon was longing for. Now, Simeon had no way of knowing on his own when God would actually send his son. But he did by faith believe that it would happen one day. And as Simeon patiently waited in faith, God did a wonderful thing for him. God sent his spirit upon Simeon and revealed him, according to verse 26, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine the excitement that filled Simeon's soul that he would see the Christ during his lifetime? The day was quickly approaching when he would no longer have, have the hope uh, of, uh, of, of Christ to come, but his hope for spiritual consolation would finally be seen with his own eyes and in his lifetime. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ implies that Simeon still had some waiting to do, and it probably was the hardest waiting of all. For Simeon to know he would soon see the Christ surely added to his longing and such suspense would have made Jesus appearing only that much more precious. You can imagine how after this revelation, Simeon would wake up every morning wondering, will this be the day? Will this be the day that I see the Lord's Christ? And it finally came. That great day, the day that he longingly knew would come, the day when the Holy Spirit finally led him to the Christ child. We read in verse 27, and he came in or by the Spirit into the temple. We see here the Holy Spirit orchestrating everything. Everything's been planned. Everything is under the Spirit's control. He orchestrated that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus would be there in the temple at that particular time. Now we are told, we are told that they were there on business. They are apparently unaware of God's dealings with Simeon. According to verse 22, they were there to do for Jesus what was required according to the custom of the law. The firstborn was either to be given to the Lord or to be redeemed by the payment of five shekels of silver. And furthermore, Mary and Joseph were there to offer the sacrifice necessary for Mary's purification. The sacrifice of two pigeons or doves was part of that particular ceremony. And so in some, Mary and Joseph were there in the temple that day in order to take care of these two legal matters. They were there in the temple, most likely standing in line, when out of nowhere, Simeon, apparently a complete stranger, comes up to them. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to them that their child, had revealed to him that their child Jesus was the child. His waiting was over. And it's very apparent that this child meant everything to Simeon, he knew that this baby was the consolation of Israel as well as his consolation. We see the great affection that Simeon has for Jesus as he takes him up in his arms and the way a grandparent sweeps up their grandchild and they meet him or her for the first time. There's love in Simeon's response to Jesus. He's excited. He's overjoyed to, to finally hold this baby in his arms. This baby is the Savior, his Savior, the very Son of God. And think of the great faith that this involved. It's first of all a matter of faith for Simeon to believe the message of the Holy Spirit that he would finally see the Messiah. After so many years of waiting, would it really happen in his lifetime? As difficult as it may have been to believe, it was a matter of greater faith for Simeon to see Jesus and then to believe that he is the Messiah. Because think of what he saw. He saw a baby. 
And there was nothing about baby Jesus from an outward point of view that would make you think he was the Messiah Savior. From all, to, to all appearance, he was like any other baby. As an infant human being, he was helpless, he was weak, he was utterly dependent upon his parents. Think of it, Simeon could hold him. Nevertheless, Simeon was brooding over him and all the while rejoicing and praising God. So clearly, Simeon was not looking at baby Jesus with only physical eyes of flesh. In fact, notice what Simeon says about this baby in terms of what he means for all mankind as well as for Simeon personally. First, as concerns all mankind, Simeon says of the baby Jesus in verses 30 through 32, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory for your people Israel. Simeon knew that Jesus was the one sent to accomplish the salvation of sinners. Simeon thought of the Messiah in general as Israel's consolation, but now he speaks of Jesus as the consolation of all peoples. Jesus says salvation itself come from God. He understands that our salvation is entirely wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then notice how he speaks of Jesus as your, that is, as God's salvation, acknowledging in that way that the salvation through, through Jesus is God's work, that Jesus is the one through whom, through whom God is bringing deliverance. Simeon knew that there in his arms was Israel's consolation because he was the one who had reconciled sinners to God by paying for their sins. He knew that with the coming of Jesus, our salvation was as good as accomplished. And then second, notice Simeon recognizes the scope of this salvation. He acknowledges Jesus to be, yes, the glory of God's people Israel, for Israel had the honor of being chosen as the first nation to experience the blessings of salvation. But that's not all. Simeon also speaks of Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon understood that Jesus was come to be the savior of Gentiles as well as of Jews. Jesus is a universal savior in the sense of coming to gather his elect from all tribes and tongues and nations. He's not only the consolation of Israel, but of the whole world. He is the consolation of anyone who puts his faith in him. With the coming of Jesus, the whole world can know consolation if they will but seek him. Nevertheless, many do not know about Jesus' coming, or if they do, they don't appreciate what it means for our consolation. Those without faith in Christ continue to wait and to long for something or someone of this earth to supply that consolation of heart and soul that only Jesus can bring. As for Simeon, he was done waiting. With the coming of Christ, his soul was satisfied. Having Christ, he didn't feel the need for anything else. And we base this on Simeon's testimony that now he is ready to die. He had been told that he would see the Christ before he died. And now that he has held the Christ, he, is, he says he's ready to depart this earthly life, which tells us a lot about his values. His readiness to leave this earth tells us that he values spiritual things above earthly things. He was a man who was not laying up treasure on earth, but to the contrary was laying up treasure in heaven. For Simeon, Jesus was the pearl of great value. 
Simeon was assessing things correctly. There is nothing of this earth that can match the value of having Christ as your God, your Savior, and your friend. The highlight of his life, the highest peak beyond what that could never, nothing else could, could, could match, was holding the Christ. No greater experience could be imagined for Simeon. Having Christ, he's ready to leave all of this world behind. His readiness to leave this earth also tells us something about his faith. Unlike Simeon, many are afraid of dying, mostly because they figure death is the end. Some think that they're going to go off into nothingness. And if that's what you believe, it makes sense to put down deep roots in this life. If this is all that there is, then why would you not fill your life with earthly pleasures while you can? Others figure that they will go to hell or at least wonder where they will go. And if this is your belief, you may also very well put deep roots down in this earth because this may be as good as it gets. But either way, there are many who are afraid of dying, who dread its coming. But notice Simeon was not afraid of death. He was ready for death. This is because he knew that his future was secure. He knew that he had a future in heaven. He knew that Jesus was his savior. He knew with full confidence that in time, Jesus would pay the penalty of his sins. And that by faith, Christ's righteousness had already been imputed to his account on credit. And that is why he can speak of departing in peace. The Jews spoke of dying in peace as a way to describe those who leave this world successful and prosperous. Simeon knows that he will die under the blessing of God. He knows that his death will not bring judgment and wrath, but rather success and prosperity as a citizen of God's kingdom. Literally, Simeon here says, Lord, now you are releasing your servant in peace. He's using the language of a master setting a slave free. Now that Christ has come, he feels liberated. Think of it, he is now liberated from this hopeful longing for the coming Christ. He knows that his waiting is over and all that is necessary for peace with God is found in this baby Jesus. And second, he rejoices in that he can now be liberated from this life to enjoy life in heaven with God. For the child of God, death is liberating. Through death, we are set free from our sin nature and all of the struggles with our sin nature. Through death, we are set free from pain. We are set free <coughs> from the problems that characterize earthly life. Because of Christ, there is a certain joy and expectation that we can have as we face death because he has transformed death. It's no longer a curse, but rather an entrance into the glories of heaven. It is but a way to experience even greater fellowship with the Lord. So now that Simeon has seen Christ, he is content, he is satisfied, he's ready now to die whenever the Lord will call him. See how clear it is that Jesus has become Simeon's own personal consolation. In all of these things, Simeon is an example to us. There's much that can be said by way of application, but I would point out just a couple of things. First of all, how many today are still waiting for consolation when the consolation has come, the true consolation? How many were there in the temple in Simeon's day who had no clue about the cause of Simeon's joy? The temple was a busy place. Priests were busy sacrificing and leading worship. 
Levites would be running back and forth, making sure everything was going smoothly. There in the middle of the hustle and bustle were Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Jesus. Ironically and unfortunately, there in the very place in which Jesus was to be worshipped, most did not recognize him. Sacrifices being offered all pointed to the person and work of the one held by Mary. The temple itself pointed to the one who would be God himself coming to dwell, to tabernacle with men. Everything about the temple concerned Jesus and the atoning sacrifice that he would make for sin. The temple was designed by God to inspire longing for the Messiah. And yet when he came and was right there in the temple, there's one lone man who comes up to him and holds him rejoicing and worshiping. How many today are blindly going about their business and don't know Christ? This time of year, many people are busy doing all kinds of things associated with so-called Christmas celebrations and yet are missing the real reason for joy. Christ is there, but they miss him. They walk right by, too busy in their own world. There's no doubt that they need consolation, for without Christ, you can be certain that they struggle with the guilt of sin and with fear of death and with emptiness in their hearts. The problem is that man thinks he can console himself. He thinks that consolation can be found in material things, having the latest luxury, the latest technology, the latest toy. And the materialism of Christmas is a testimony to what the world believes will console the human soul. They think that they can buy joy. They think that by partying and feasting and giving and receiving gifts and giving generously to the less fortunate that these things will bring peace. The festivities of Christmas have become, for lost sinners, simply another way to cover up and to cope with their emptiness. Without Christ, the joy of Christmas is a facade built on nothing lasting. What about you? What do you value? What do you long for? But you have been eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel, the coming of the Christ like Simeon. How about waiting eagerly for his second coming? How eagerly do we wait? I'll wait his second coming. And then second, Simeon is an example in terms of his values and faith. How many of us are so in love with Christ and so longing for life with him in heaven that we would have no problem leaving our earthly life behind right now at this very moment. The story of Simeon should cause you to pause and evaluate if Christ is central in your life. How tied are you to the things of this world? And I think this can be evaluated to some degree by your attitude about death. What do you think about leaving behind this earth with all of your things? Could you do that willingly, even gladly, like Simeon, or at least with hardly a thought, or would it be difficult? And furthermore, do you have the assurance that when you die, you will go to heaven? And the key to such assurance is, to, is in how you answer questions like, am I resting in Christ alone? And am I trusting in his merits for eternal life? Is he my consolation, or am I looking to someone or something else for consolation that ultimately cannot console me? Jesus has come to bring consolation to sinners like you and me whose sins deserve God's wrath and curse. And what an amazing consolation it is that you and I can face death with the confidence that Simeon had simply 
simply by repudiating any trust in our own goodness and looking to Christ alone. True, lasting spiritual consolation is knowing you have been reconciled to God. Christ has done all that is needed for that. And also that God loves you with an unbreakable bond of love and fellowship. That is what Christ has earned for us. So praise be to God for giving us this consolation by giving us his son. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that we need consoling, the consoling that only Jesus Christ can give. For Father, the consoling we need is to be rescued from our sin problem. And uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus came to save us from our sins, to reconcile us to you, to give us the hope of eternal life so that we do not have to fear death. In fact, we eagerly look forward to, to death as the entrance into the glories of heaven. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we, Lord, do not always think this way, that we often find ourselves tied to the things of this earth. Um, we're, we're, we, we can become materialistic in our thinking and values. Father, forgive us, and we pray that you would give us through this history this morning a greater understanding of the hope that we have in Christ. And may we be like Simeon, where we are, we are longing for the coming of Christ, and where we are able at a moment's notice to leave this earth gladly, because we know that fellowship with you is what eternal life is. Father, we pray that in the midst of all of the materialism and confusion of what joy is in this Christmas season, that, Father, we would very clearly understand the consolation that is in, in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We thank you, Lord, for this inexpressible gift that you have given to us. And may our lives express gratitude. May, we, may our, our lives express um, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.